0: Welcome to another episode of Cooperatively Speaking. I am Saul Alvarado and my co-host is David Manns. David, how are you doing? Saul, it is a pleasure to be with you. Great, and with us again uh, for this part two of this series, we have Mark Cartwright. Mark, how are you doing?
1: Doing great. I'm glad to be back for round two. So I, I must not have been too terrible that first time around.
0: <laughs> no, it's great to have you. I mean, it's not that it's the fact that the topic is so robust and there's so much to cover that we need uh, more than two, I believe. But more of that later, you know, David, we had a great conversation on our last podcast and we dove deep into supplier diversity, talked about the history, the evolution within higher education what are some of the roadblocks, Uh, what are some of the lessons learned. Today, I'm excited to get a little bit deeper into that and really get more into what the end users see, what the suppliers see, what the actual team and staff see as far as procurement folks that have to put these programs together. I really think that this second part is really going to take us a little bit deeper into the conversation to really let folks see the importance and the why this is
2: important. What do you think, David? Yes, all the first one, we really established the importance of diversity programs and why they matter. And today, if you haven't listened to that one, really go back and listen to that if you still need a little boost on the benefits of that. There was a lot of perceived challenges in our conversation with Mark today, I think, is going to show that these programs are more beneficial than you think. And they're not nearly as difficult to implement or to progress as you think. We're going to have practical, and tangible things you can get as takeaways to build your program, to establish one, or to take a really good program and make it great. Really, the the first question that I think is important, because a lot of times we don't even know what we don't know, right, Mark? So there's a lot of times where people are like, I'm not really sure what to do or start. So Mark, what question do you get asked most when you're at an event or doing a Zoom call? What do you hear most often as far as what people don't know?
1: Thanks for asking that question, David. Probably by far, uh, the biggest question is, how do I get started, right? You hear that from a member. Either we're going to start a supply diversity program because we think it's really beneficial to the university or community, or we're going to start a program because the state says that we have to. And at that point, I think people just feel overwhelmed and feel clueless in terms of what to do first.
0: And for the benefit of our listeners, you know, our members at i they are the schools, the higher education, whether they're private schools, whether they are... Uh, public schools two-year, four-year, they are members of ENI, K-12 as well, you know, districts across the country. uh, Normally when we refer to them as members, that's what we're talking about. So at the end of the day, when we have these schools Asking you for that, Mark, and they want to know about that. Where do you refer them to? Where do they go for the initial resources? Is there a toolbox? Is there a toolkit where they say, hey, let me go to this one place to gather this information for my school? Is it that easy? Or as of right now, is it a lot more complicated than that?
1: You know, interestingly, I would say it's both easy and complicated. We are working on a standard toolkit that our members can utilize, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not one size fits all. Often, if you're a smaller member or institution, they don't have a whole lot of electronic tools, right? So they may not know the current diversity status of their suppliers. They probably don't have any sort of supplier registration portal, right? So they have to do a lot of things more manual. And certainly the first step is finding out what diverse suppliers you currently do business with. And there's some tools that can help with that. But if it's done manually, that, that could be done as well. You know, just have some paperwork completed and ask the suppliers what their diversity status is. But that's that's always step one. And then tip of Beyond is that, how do you then create awareness of your, your program, both on the campus and in the local community? How do the suppliers know that you have opportunities available for them, even if they're small, women, and minority-owned? Often, you'll go look at a, a website or a member's website, and you don't see any mention of the supply diversity program. So awareness is the first step, I would say. That's probably also the easiest steps. Putting information on your website, connecting with the local community groups, the chambers of commerce, building those contacts, letting them know that there's opportunities available.
2: That's great information, Mark. You know, it's really interesting to me. You had some statistics on the number of businesses that are out there that are considered diversified, Can you give us some information on some of the statistics and share with the audience what we see nationally? Because I really think it's insightful.
1: In terms of minority-owned businesses, there's approximately 8.2 million non-employer businesses. And what I mean by non-employer is that they, is only a sole proprietor. They don't have any employees. There's an additional 1 million minority-owned employer businesses, those that have at least one employee beyond themselves. On the women-owned businesses, there's approximately 12 million women-owned businesses, and about two and a half million veteran-owned companies. And, and probably what's even more impactful than the numbers is is the output. So minority-owned businesses estimated that their economic output is 400 billion dollars, uh, resulting in 2.2 million jobs. And you know, beyond people think supply diversity program is a giveaway program those diverse firms or minority-owned businesses contribute $49 billion in local, state, and federal taxes. That's huge. And the women-owned businesses generate around $3.6 trillion in sales. So you know, it's easier sometimes to be internally focused and just think of our local community or campus, but the economic impact across the U.S. in its entirety is significant.
2: Yeah, that is massive. There's also another statistic that I thought was kind of interesting. What's the number of firms that have a certificate of some kind of diversity, be it federal, state, local?
1: That's a great follow-up question. And and actually one of the challenges in terms of supply diversity is getting the suppliers to be certified. The range of certified suppliers, usually they come in around 1% to 3%. So that's an issue in and of itself because a lot of institutions or companies, they want to do business with for a supplier to certified, it and the supplier is not certified. So one of the things we have to do with Supply Diversity Professionals is to try to grow that number, explain the value proposition of getting certified, letting the suppliers know where they can be certified, and, and that's going to vary, right? If you're only doing business locally, and maybe your city has a Supply Diversity Certification Program, right, you're probably just going to get certified, say, with the city of New York, for instance. But if you're going to do business around the state or, or state universities, you should probably be certified with that state agency if one exists. And if not, you would want to get certified by one of the national bodies, such as the National Minority Supplier Development Council or the Women's Business Enterprise National Council.
0: Hey, Mark, so that's great information that you shared as far as the statistics on women-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses and such veteran-owned businesses And the economic impact they are having for different states across the country. I think that's such an important story that goes unnoticed when we are talking and establishing policies for schools and end users when we tell them, hey, we have a policy now for X institution that we need to follow 30% growth in supplier diversity. All they hear is the policy. All they hear is, I have to do this. I have to get to this number. No one shares. It doesn't seem that we're doing a good job of sharing the story, the positive story of the economic impact that those diverse businesses are having in the local economy, the impact that they're having perhaps on their neighbors, perhaps within their state. And do you feel that that is an area of opportunity and perhaps we could bridge the gap in some of the pushback we're getting sometimes when folks say, hey, I'm being told I have to do this. And so they're not very happy to do it, but no one is telling them the why and the positive impact that this could have. And so do you feel that there's an opportunity there?
1: I think certainly messaging is critical. And unfortunately, particularly in areas where there's a state mandated program, right? We talk about, oh, you have this 30% goal. You have this 42% go. Well, if you don't have a program that one, that number seems almost impossible. So it's like, what's the point? Why should I try? It always should be about economic impact. And interestingly enough, most of these supply diversity data management firms now, they're all marketing supply diversity, economic impact reporting, right? You can buy this software and that's a good thing. But again, all along the story should be economic impact. And I think it's incumbent upon us, you know, those state officials who involve involved with such programs, the individuals at the university level, when they're trying to build and grow and establish their program, that's really what what it should be about. Because we know when a large company gets a new contract, that's a big deal to them. But most cases, they're not going to hire anyone to fulfill that contract. That smaller supplier is going to have to hire two or three people to fulfill that contract. So you think about the trickle-down economic impact. And the data also shows that businesses that are owned by women and minority also hire more women and minorities. So as our kind of demographics of the country changes, I think that's critical. And I wish more people such as yourself kind of realize that the mis-messaging there.
2: Yeah, I agree. This is very complex. And you mentioned earlier, 1% to 3% are actually certified. and And we need to figure out how to remove roadblocks, each of us individually and So I know you have personal experience with this. You've had opportunity to work directly with working on diversity programs and being able to show that diversity suppliers can fulfill the needs. Sometimes there's a a false stigma that maybe they can't perform, maybe due to size or inventory or cash on hand, any of that. What's your experience there?
0: Well, I can recall a specific instance, and this is when I worked for a, a major municipality and we're working on a on a large contract for a large commodity that had been in place for many years. And it was very important for a lot of end users out in the field. And we started talking about the importance of supplier diversity, not only within perhaps tier two within the contract, but the possibility that this could be a tier one if you obviously found the right suppliers to fulfill or, or to be able to perform for the contract. This was still a competitive solicitation. But the pushback from the end users was pretty big. There was a lot of noise about, can they actually perform? Can they deliver? Can they meet the requirements and the needs of such a large municipality with so many projects, with so many needs? And long story short, after the competitive solicitation, there was a local diverse supplier that actually won the contract and took out a long existing large supplier that had been in place for many years. Not only did they take over this this new contract, they actually did a good job as far as the way they were performing. And then over time, they kept growing and kept just raising the bar of that performance. So it goes back to that squashing this idea that they cannot perform, they cannot do the job. And I'm not saying everyone, right? There's obviously exceptions. But in this specific case, we were able to have a good story around supplier diversity and the fact that in this case, it was a prime supplier that was able to do the job. So it was a good story all in all. So that's one story that I have where it actually worked and we actually went over everything Mark talked about, right? The, the economic impact, the story, the statistics and all that. So, so that's an experience I had in the past.
2: Yeah, that's an excellent example of really being creative to figure out the solution to this and then getting results that were maybe unexpected. Right, So there's just lots of opportunity. When you introduce so many new people into your world, you get great results back from that. And all of us kind of opening that up here at E&I, we've got quite a bit of learning, Mark, with the work that you've done and then even done right before you got on board here. We've learned a lot about our business partners. I'd like for you to share a little bit about that, some of the things that we learned with our business partners that had programs that they knew about. And then even some of them that were actually working very well in the space, but it wasn't a focus. And now it is a focus for them.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I was in a meeting a couple of weeks ago and I was asking the business partner, uh, how long did they have this program or this process? And It's like, oh, we've had it for a while, quite honestly. (laughs) But often, you know, we didn't put it out there unless somebody asked us about it. But now they were leading with that. And so for some, it might sound counterintuitive, Oh, well, why would this large business help this smaller business establish a footprint? Well, the large businesses that are forward thinking know that's something that the members are looking for, their clients are looking for. So they see advantage in in bringing that supplier on as a partner. We have a a fairly new contract. And I had a call a couple of weeks ago with a potential diversity partner. And the call went fairly well. But then last week, as we were out of town, David, as you know, you and I had a chance to connect. The large supplier had a chance to meet the smaller supplier face to face, and they sat down and had a good conversation. and And I just found out yesterday that that's going to result in a business relationship. So those are the sort of stories I think that are out there. And again, the forward-thinking large partners—they're out there on their own looking for these partners. They realize that our members also want to do business with suppliers locally, so they're supporting that. And and that you know, it's really a joint effort. It's the large supplier. Is the member letting us know maybe who some of these suppliers are. It's E&I, you know, being open to that and, and helping to identify and reach out to these suppliers. So that's something that I'm very optimistic about. And it's something really that everybody can do, right? It just starts with a willingness to listen and a willingness to do things differently.
2: Yeah, it's very insightful, Mark. And really specifically, we were able to identify some business partners at E&I that have a very, well, kind of unique business model, for instance, franchising where we have the opportunity to have several diversity minority owned businesses all over the country that are actually working with universities, but it's probably not being tracked. And while you think, well, is it really important to track? I, th- I think it is, right? We've we talked about this in other podcasts. If it's important, you measure it, right? We want to make sure we're not losing measurements. Can you give us a little bit of what we've learned so far from some of these business partners?
1: So one of our business partners is Batteries Plus. And of course, they're a national company. They have a large footprint but what many people don't realize, and I'll be honest, I didn't realize at first, they're small business owners, right? They're in the local community. Yeah, they have the name, but they're local businesses. And a significant number of those businesses are owned by women or minority, where they're all going to be small businesses, but many of them are owned by women, minority, or veteran as well. And so you, you might be on your way to your office every day on campus and bypassing really this local small business. So because of the the name, right, there, they have access to Cost competitive inventories and there's advertising out there. And so, in many ways, any potential risk is reduced. And so we've had some great conversations with Batteries Plus, a couple of follow-up conversations as well. And because part of that deal is also encouraging those franchise owners to get certified. Most of them have never thought about it because they they see, hey, I work for Batteries Plus. But I did some research through the SBA website a couple of weeks ago, and there was quite a few of Boutage Plus businesses that were registered with the SBA as a small business. But I also checked the National Minority Supplier Development Council database, and I didn't see any that were there. And I know some of those stores are owned by, by women and minorities. So that's something that we need to talk about as well. And again... And not just Bodies Plus, right? It could be a McDonald's, some sort of restaurant that is a franchise. Those are significant opportunities we really we should take advantage of.
0: So Mark, on that point, and I know you mentioned one of our suppliers, if we look at the, the portfolio of different suppliers we have, there's different types of programs within that, right? That if we look today... But beyond that, what I want to get into is, again, that end user experience and the institution experience, the suppliers. And then I think, again, going back to the policies, when you set up these policies and you say, hey, we now are requiring X percentage of supplier diverse business going through X institution, how do we do that? And I think a lot of times folks put their hat on. It's one or the other, right? And it doesn't have to be that way. And and you can answer this better than than anyone. Do you see it as one or the other? Or is it, hey, there's a way where the pie can grow and everyone can win? Or is it one route of, let's just channel everything over to the supplier diverse business?
1: I would not say it's a zero sum game at all. I think there's opportunities to be won by both. One of the things whether, whether that partnership really makes sense is that typically that large supplier partner is going to make those products available to that smaller partner, right? At, at the discounts that they can offer that that smaller supplier couldn't get alone. So it's not like the large supplier is being shut out of that operation altogether. They're often providing the goods and the smaller supplier may be providing the service and sales and billing or whatever it might be. So I, I think we just need to think of that differently. A lot of people though do think of it as a finite pie, right? Say slices in that pie, right? If now that person's going to get five, that means I'm only going to get three. But that, that's the wrong way to look at that. It's, it's really a collaborative pool. And that pool is not static, right? It's going to grow. And so I, I think that's the right mindset to have. And I think it's important that supply diversion professionals and procurement professionals think of that the same way. It's not a zero-sun game that they're taking it away from the large supplier. The fact is that that pie is growing and there's enough there For everyone.
0: So, if done right, if all the parties, you build the awareness, you build that commitment, you have those discussions. If done right, it's not that you're losing a share of the pie, you're actually growing the pie, which means that everyone wins. So, it's a a trifecta, like we've called it before trifecta of everyone winning in this case. The institutions are able to get closer to the numbers that they are being required to channel business through this supply diverse channel. The supplier diversity businesses are able to play within this arena. And those larger suppliers are also able to take part in that. So so everyone working collectively can actually benefit. However, you have to have those discussions and you have to have the discussion that you talked about earlier as to sharing the story as to the benefit that it's having for everyone in order for folks to be committed.
1: Right. And I even have one story that I would like to mention. So through a prior employer, we used to do a lot of business with the Veterans Administration and you know the, the VA is really as you would expect dedicated to doing business with veterans but more specifically they want to do business also with service disabled veterans and so there was an opportunity that we had a contract for before but on the new contract when it was released there were like 500 items on this contract and all but five had been set aside for service disabled veteran on small business so we weren't going to have an opportunity for that business if we didn't have a partner we went through a process that took us a while to identify a partner Took a lot of time, took a lot of working together. But with that partner, we bid on the my old employer bid on two contracts. The first contract was not one, but the second contract, it was one. And and that was primarily because of the partner we had. And that partner wasn't somebody just who was there for cosmetics. They were already in the healthcare space, already pretty much selling exclusively to the VA. And so That was the first time that they had ever done something like that, a partner. We had to kind of sell the legal department on it. Hey, is there any risk involved? But because of that, certainly it makes sense for them to do that, not just because the VA required them to do so, just because it was a good business sense.
2: Yeah, that does make sense. And so far, we've kind of identified that there's such a small amount of certified diversity partners. So I think there's got to be opportunities to remove roadblocks there. There's also emerging markets that are developing within diversity. And so, you know, a lot of times we maybe saw it in construction. We see, you know, service type relationships that have grown, uh, but that, that's really growing outside of that. Mark, w- what have you seen with the growth and proliferation of different industries that people are accessing diversity partners?
1: That's a great point, David. And I think one of the issues has been a lot of the diverse businesses have been in sort of what I would call low margin businesses, such as retail social services, things such as that. But really, the growth opportunities are in professional services, science, and technology. Those are the sort of industries where those suppliers can make enough revenue, where they can grow and sustain themselves, as opposed to almost operating on a contract-to-contract basis. So we're already seeing that, particularly with the women-owned businesses. And I think that's something that's going to happen with the minority-owned businesses as well. And a lot of that growth on the minority side is because of the partnering opportunities that we just talked about, right? They're going to bring that smaller supplier to the table with them so they can get capacity and scale and build those first-tier supplier relationships, often even helping them with marketing or even you know not providing them financial support, but introducing them to their financial resources, their banker. So I think there's reason for optimism moving forward. Yeah,
2: I believe so. And, and that reminds me of us talking about ways that we're working with people that we might not have realized before. And we mentioned Batteries Plus, but I also want to mention IM Supply. They're a, basically a cooperative electrical companies themselves, and they have a lot of minority and diversity owners all over the country. And they've also been a great resource and an eye opening for us to say, we do want to give more opportunity and realize that we have plenty of opportunity even within a contract holder now through their diverse network. And really, it's not maybe something that we can do, but it's a support to another company like I Am Supply with really building out their program. And I know you've had conversations with them, Mark. It's eye-opening that there is more opportunity. It's easier to do this than we think. From what I've learned over going through this for many years, working with federal, state, local, government, and education is, oftentimes you'll hear people that will say, well, it's, it's difficult, but really it's not. This is so much easier to do you just have to kind of pull back a few layers and see that there's a lot of work that's already been done that we can build upon.
1: I would agree that I think that I am supply story is a, is a good one. As you know, we had recently had a conversation with them. And a few days after that original conversation, I was on a call with one of our members and they asked for a specific uh, supplier in the city that they're in. And I sent an email to the contact that I am supply. It's like, oh yeah, we have a large supplier there that has multiple warehouses. That's all these things that we've been working with for a while. And so when I went back to the member and said, hey, would you be interested in this supplier? They were really ecstatic. And as you can imagine, that supplier is ecstatic as well.
0: It's been amazing uh, to have this conversation with you. And and like I shared at the top of the call, it it almost seems like we could keep talking about this for hours. There's just so many levels of this as it relates to supplier diversity. But for today, is there anything you would like to leave behind with our audience that they absolutely need to hear or they absolutely need to know from your standpoint regarding this topic and today's conversation?
1: Sort of what I would add is whether... Your institution is starting a supply diversity program because they have to as a state mandate or the community. Whatever the rationale is, I encourage you, you have to embrace it, right? Don't look at it as a burden. It could be a significant challenge, but wrap your arms around it. Don't try just to do the minimum. That's the other problem with seeing something as compliance. The goal is actually you're going to try to do the minimum and that's it, right? There's, there's no incentive to go beyond that. So again, embrace it. Look upon it as an opportunity to set your institution apart from somebody else. It's something that's discussed quite a bit, whether you want to look at it as public relations or whatever, it's it's a great opportunity for your institution to set yourself apart from the competition while also greatly benefiting your local community.
0: Thank you, Mark. That's spot on. I love it. Uh, Thank you very much for those words of wisdom on this very important topic. And David, thank you very much.
2: It's just a great conversation and it's great that we're continuing to have this. It's a two-part series, but really there'll be more content that comes from this. And so we're grateful to have Mark on the line with us today to share his uh, his lifetime of experience here.
0: And Mark, thank you very much for being with us today and lending your expertise to this very important topic.
1: Yeah, well, I'd like to thank you, Saul and David, for the opportunity. You know, progress just starts with the conversation and the audience. And you provided both of those and i'm really appreciative
0: absolutely thank you again and to our listeners thank you very much for being with us today Uh, don't forget to visit our website at www.eandi.org forward slash podcast for resources from this episode and other episodes of cooperatively speaking and also don't forget to subscribe to your preferred streaming service so you never miss an update